good morning, Harvest family. Always great to be with you on this Sunday mornings, and uh, certainly great to be able to connect with you via the chat. And I want to extend my personal welcome to any of you who are tuning in from outside of our surrounding area. I know we have many tuning in from out of province and some tuning in from out of country. A big good morning to you if you're tuning in from uh, Glasgow, Scotland as well. It was great to see uh, Pastor Scott Hamilton here with us this morning. And such a cool opportunity that we have that these kind of services are affording us to be able to gather together as the body of Christ and uh, to not be divided by borders. And so it's been wonderful to be able to do that with you this morning. And I personally am excited to be able to get into God's Word with you this morning. And as Joel mentioned, we are in our Conversations with Jesus series, turning to Matthew chapter 4 this morning to have a discussion on the topic of temptation. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I go to a movie at a movie theater, I need movie theater popcorn. It's like unnegotiable. It has to happen. My movie theater experience would be completely tainted if I didn't have that large bag of buttery goodness in front of me. And I think that personally, one of the saddest days for me was the day that the Cineplex got rid of the free large refills. They had the unlimited refills on on the bags of popcorn. You remember that? Now, I must confess to you that I probably was part of the reason they got rid of that because I was that terrible person that would Um, get the bag of popcorn, eat it all in the pre-show, and then go refill it for the movie, have it empty by the time the movie was done so that I could refill it on the way home and have it as a snack for later. Yes, I was probably the reason they got rid of it. I apologize to you. I am the worst. But you see, it was the temptation of the, it is, I should say, the temptation of the, the smell of the popcorn, the sound of it popping, and the sight of that big basket full of that buttery goodness that is just undeniable for me. It's like gravity. I'm drawn to the counter every single time I enter into the building. And I know some of you are right there just salivating at the thought because you're with me with this. I will pay the atrociously overpriced price for the popcorn because it is just that good. It's safe to say I am completely unable to resist the temptation of movie theater popcorn, and I hope at least I'm not alone with that. It's my thing, that's for sure. But really, the principle is all of our thing, because such is the case for us when it comes to the temptation to sin in our lives as well, isn't it? We are enticed to sin. We are pulled to it. We are sucked into it and often struggle to break out of it. Temptation is all around us in the subtle and not so subtle ways where we are prompted to do and to say and to think or to watch or to take part in the things that are contrary to what God calls us to. We're inundated with temptation to the point where we often even fail to recognize when it comes in our lives. And you see, we hold to the biblical perspective that to be tempted is not sin. As we understand, and we'll see this morning, that Jesus himself was tempted. But the problem arises when we give into temptation, a problem that we experience on a daily basis. And so as we look to Matthew chapter 4 this morning in the first 11 verses there, where we see the conversation between Jesus and the tempter himself, Satan, 
we'll see the example that Jesus gives us in how we ought to be resisting temptation in our lives. And it's simpler than we often think. So let's dive into God's word now. As I mentioned, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11 is where we find ourselves this morning. So follow along with me as I read God's words to us today. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came. And we're ministering to him. And God Almighty, we bow before you this morning and come to you, first of all, thankful and grateful, Father, for the opportunity that we have to gather in this way. Certainly, it has been a blessed and anointed time of worship. And we look now to your word and ask, Father, that you would meet with us here. That you would speak clearly to us from your word this morning. Father, we recognize and we are all too keenly aware of our weakness and frailty before you. Father, we often stumble and fall into wrong patterns of thinking, into actions or deeds, into saying things that are contrary to what you call us to. And God, we recognize that we are tempted to do so on a moment-by-moment basis as sinful human beings living in a fallen world. But Lord, we know and we recognize that there is power available to us from you to resist that temptation as you call us to. And so as we look to your perfect example of how to do this, Jesus, we ask that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that the temptations we experience even now to discount what your word says, to tune out and to be thinking about other things, distracted by what we've got going on around us, Lord, I ask that you would grant us a keen focus to hear your word, to see what you call us to, and to see the areas of our lives that need to be realigned with what you ask of us and command us to do. Father, your word bears authority, and we submit ourselves to that authority today. Instruct us, guide us, encourage us, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hope you add your amen to that prayer. Hope you're looking forward to getting into God's word. Here is our big idea this morning. Resisting temptation, as Jesus did, comes down to a few simple choices. So when temptation comes in my life, will I choose first self-satisfaction or humble dependence? 
Our passage this morning comes off the heels, if you turn your eyes just up a little bit to Matthew chapter 3, you see that we're coming off the heels of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist and God's affirmation of him as his beloved son and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Jesus then is led by the Spirit, verse 1, into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and nights by the devil himself. And it's important for us to establish, even before we go any further in this passage, that when it comes to temptation, God is never the one who tempts us to sin. That would be inconsistent and contrary and compromise his very nature. But we do recognize, and as was the case for Jesus, that we are often led to and allowed to experience situations where our faith is tested and temptation can be present. Think back for a moment to the story of Job as God allowed Satan to take away pretty much everything in his life to test his faithfulness to God. And in the midst of that, Job had to navigate temptation to forsake God and to remain faithful to him. So Jesus, being led by the Spirit as he was for all of his ministry, heads out, verse 2, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. Kind of a little bit of a, yeah, no kidding statement here, right? Like, no doubt fasting for 40 days and 40 nights would mean that he was hungry. I mean, there are some days where I go four hours without food, and I am completely unbearable to be around, let alone four days, let alone 40 days. So it's clear that Jesus was in a significantly compromised physical state here, which cannot be lost on us. Because really this means for us that we have no excuse to ever give in to temptation. Oh, I'm, I'm, just ignore what I did. I was, I was hangry. Not an excuse. Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus, while we understand he was fully God and had all the powers of God and his nature available to him while he donned human flesh, was also fully man. And so his physical needs were obvious here. And so Satan, ever the opportunist, recognizes that and tempts Jesus to make bread out of stones to satisfy his own physical needs. Now, the sin here that Satan tempts him with is not simply just to make food the wrong way or to prove his power over the physical aspects of this world. But the temptation here was to use his power and authority over the physical aspects of this world, power that he had given up as he came to earth for a purpose that would be inconsistent with the mission that he had been given. As doing so, Making bread out of stones would disqualify him from the claim of expressing and enduring all the same things that we as created beings experience. Jesus knew that his purpose was to come and fulfill the plans and purposes of God the Father and to do and be what the scriptures had proclaimed him to be. That he was to be a suffering servant 
completely obedient to the will of the Father. And so to satisfy his needs in this way would be outside of the God-given mission and mandate that he had received. So he answers Satan, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As he responds to the tempter, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which for us should draw the parallel between him and the people of Israel and the way that God had provided manna for the people of Israel, bread from heaven for them to eat when they were hungry in the wilderness. Now, as God had led his people out of slavery in Egypt, guided them with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, parted the Red Sea so they may cross on dry ground and then led them into the wilderness with the promise of the promised land before them. The hunger that they experienced, that God allowed them to experience in the wilderness was meant to show them that obedience to God's word is the most important thing in this life. More important even than food itself, than what they needed to survive and to live physically. I mean, it's almost no doubt here that Jesus' stomach would have grumbled. No doubt he would have felt the weakness physically as his body strained under the lack of food. But even still, he recognized that obedience to God's word took precedence over his need for nourishment. Jesus certainly had the power available to him to change the physical makeup of the stones and turn them into the best bread that anyone could have ever eaten. After all, he had a hand in creating these very stones, and yet he voluntarily surrendered the powers that were available to him in coming to this earth to fulfill the will and plans of the Father, exemplifying perfectly for us what it looks like to humbly depend on God. D.A. Carson, in the Expositor's Bible Commentary, wrote about this. Israel demanded its bread, but died in the wilderness. Jesus denied himself bread, retained his righteousness, and lived by faithful submission to God's word. For Jesus, obedience to God and to what he called him to do was more important than bread. His food was to fulfill the mission and mandate that he had been given. You see, the temptation of Jesus here is one that we face daily. Will we choose to humbly depend on God for all things and in all things And will that take priority over our sinful, selfish, fleshly desires, even desires as basic to our life as food? Jesus obviously put this into practice. I mean, how else would he have been able to, in the fullness of his flesh, resist temptation other than his complete dependence on God and reliance on the Holy Spirit? I mean, think about it, 40 days and 40 nights without food, and you have the opportunity to end that right away? I mean, you know you and I are failing to remain dependent on God pretty much through that. I 
In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis takes the perspective of a demon writing to his nephew, another demon, as he seeks to learn how to tempt and deceive his human patient. And Lewis does a profound job at getting to the heart of human weakness as it pertains to temptation from the very beginning of the book. The first letter that Wormwood, the uncle demon, writes to Screwtape, the nephew demon, says this. Remember, he, speaking of the human patient, is not like you, a pure spirit. Never having been a human, oh, the abominable advantage of the enemies, the enemy being Jesus, you don't realize how enslaved they are to the pressure of the ordinary. I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum. One day as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. The enemy, of course, was at his elbow in a moment. If I had lost my head and begun to attempt a defense by argument, I should have been undone. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested it was just about time he had some lunch. See, the temptations that we face to satisfy ourselves, whether it be physical or mental or spiritual, often come into conflict with our dependence on God. Whether it's food or money or power or sex or possessions or leisure, the longings of our own self-satisfaction and gratification come directly into contrast with what God wills for our lives. And the choice that we face when temptations come is will we choose to feed our own sinful desires or commit to humbly depending on God for all things? God's word speaks strongly of the die-to-self mindset that we ought to have. Jesus himself speaks strongly of it, and the words that he uses carry weight as we see that he was the one who perfectly exemplified this throughout his time and ministry. Luke 14 Verses 26 and 27, one verse that we're all familiar with. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Just a few verses later, verse 33, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 1, along the same lines, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, in comparison to our obedience and submission and commitment to God, it should be like we hate our own families. We should be taking up our cross, sacrificing ourselves and our desires to follow Jesus daily. Renouncing and being willing to abandon all that we are and have to follow him. And honestly, this is where prosperity gospel preachers have it so desperately wrong. Because the Christian life was not meant to be indulgent. 
Let's call that what it is. It is a false gospel, lies straight from the mouth of the evil one himself. We cannot take the fact that Jesus Christ came to save and to serve as license for us to selfishly satisfy anything that we want. Do I depend daily on God for all things? Do I hunger after his word in the same way that I long for that sandwich around lunchtime? Or in the same way that I look forward to dinner when I smell it in the crock pot all day? Do I pursue God's face in prayer and spend time in personal worship and look forward to it in the same way that I would long for a cool glass of water after being in the heat for hours? Do I practice the spiritual discipline of fasting as we see Jesus prescribe for us here in a biblical way when I sense that I'm getting too reliant on myself or someone else or something else? Our lives are not lived by bread alone, Jesus says. But our lives ought to be lived completely dependent, hanging on every word that comes from the mouth of God and the power that comes from that word. The power to save. The power to create. The power to deliver, to heal, to forgive, to transform. The power that comes from the very words of God that we hold in our hands. When temptation comes, will I choose to satisfy my sinful desires or will I humbly depend on God? Well, a uh, pretty long point to start our message this morning. Great job getting through that one, everybody. Let's take a deep breath. I promise that the next two won't be near as long, but let's move on to to the second choice that we have when temptation comes. Will I make my own truth or believe God? So after he thwarts the first temptation, Satan moves to tempt Jesus in another way. Look down at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, this was likely a visionary experience for Jesus rather than a physical bringing of him to the top of the temple. Nevertheless, the temptation is real. But notice that Satan switches his tactics here. He quotes verses of scripture in verse 6 after he heard Jesus' response to his initial temptation in the first few verses. Psalm 91 is the passage that he quotes, which states that those who put their faith and trust in God will be cared for and protected by him. And Satan misapplies scripture here in tempting Jesus to test whether or not God will keep his promises, essentially testing and forcing God's hand of protection, which is exactly what Jesus notices. And so he responds, verse seven, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, it is a sinful thing to test the Lord. The proper response to 
understanding who God is, what he has done, and the promises that he has given to us is to completely and wholly trust him, to put your faith in him. Because his word does not fail, he keeps all his promises and he never changes, our trust should be in him completely. And again, we see parallels here between this interaction and the account of the Israelites in the wilderness because Jesus' response, again, comes from the book of Deuteronomy, specifically verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 16, where it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Now, the testing at Massah and Meribah was when the Israelites tested God's presence and promise to care for and deliver them by demanding a provision of water Instead of offering up faith-filled prayers, remembering and trusting all that God has done for them already. You can read about this in Exodus 17. And you see, there's a big difference between trusting God and testing God, but it's often the case that we can get the two mixed up. See, Jesus is launching himself off the top of the temple, some 300 feet below the ground, because of an intentionally misinterpreted verse saying that God will command angels to protect you no matter what, would not be trusting or believing God, it would be testing him. Expecting God to miraculously save your kids while doing nothing to lead them to follow him, is not trusting God, it's testing him. Expecting God to keep you healthy and strong while gorging yourself on terrible food, not exercising or going to the doctor, is not trusting God, it's testing him. Expecting God to keep yourself pure and keep your eyes away from unwholesome things while having no accountability or any sort of software on any of your devices is not trusting God, it's testing him. Should I go on? These expectations are based on false confidence with no basis in Scripture. It's making up truth based on an improper view of God or understanding what his word actually says. And it's something that far too many people have fallen into. A proper understanding of God's word and how to read it is critical if we are to hold to what is true and properly believe and understand what it is God calls us to and what he promises us. Because Satan's use of scripture can sure sound convincing. Make no mistake, he knows what the word says. And he can take and twist it to mean all sorts of things that to unsuspecting or not careful ears can sound pretty good. When in reality, all it's doing is taking us further away from God instead of closer to him. So the choice that we have when temptation of any kind comes in our lives is whether or not we will give in to made-up truths or believe what God says. And it's evident here that from the way that Jesus responds in these verses, that leaning on God and his word needs to be how we respond when temptation comes. And so when I face temptation, it's critical that God's word is, here's three things, The first thing 
It's critical God's word is my standard. The means by which I measure everything against. God's word is the authority and the, and the truth on all matters of life and godliness and should be our go-to in everything. When we come to read God's word, we, see, we seek to hear what God has to say instead of reading our own perspectives into it. Not reading God's word to just prove our point, but seeking to bring the point of truth out of God's word, not reading our truth into it. Which leads to the second thing, it's critical that God's word is properly understood. Okay, this is vitally important. That we be reading God's word in context and to find out what the original author intended to say is the proper way to handle scripture. There are a number of books and resources that you can use to help you develop your ability to do this. Uh, One of the the best ones, I would say, is Grasping God's Word by Scott Duvall and Daniel Hayes, as it really has become the standard work on properly reading and interpreting and applying God's Word. I would commend it to anybody. And in fact, they also came up with a little bit more of an abridged version called Journey into God's Word that doesn't quite go as deep, but still equips you with all the tools that you need to study scripture properly. Very valuable and worthwhile and both very affordable. But we should be careful to properly interpret God's word as we ought to when it comes to responding to anything in our lives and especially when it comes to responding to temptation. And lastly, when I face temptation, it's critical that God's word is faithfully memorized. I feel like this is something that we've gotten away from a little bit as Christians. You know, I'm certainly grateful for the children's programs that we have here at Harvest, Awana and Harvest Kids, for our youth small group leaders who have taken up the mantle of encouraging our young people to memorize scripture. But it's something that we need to be committed to as a church, as small groups, as families, and as individuals. Because hiding God's word in our hearts gives us the ability to ensure that we have it in our mind and it's written on our hearts so that when temptation comes, we can turn to the truth. I feel like Bible apps and the ability that we have to have God's word at our fingertips at all times, while it certainly is a blessing to have, has brought us away from this and we can certainly swing back the other way in this direction and put more of a priority on it. It should be something that we commit to as individuals and as families in the church to ensure that we are equipped when temptation rears its ugly head and to make sure that we are being continually refreshed by the word of God. With the amount of so-called truth or lack thereof in our world today, and the ability that anybody has to have a platform to voice their opinions on what God's word says, or means, the need for us to have a proper understanding of how to read and understand the word of God is vital so that we don't fall prey to made-up truths and believe the truth of what God has said and calls us to in all things, but certainly when we are tempted. Here's the last choice we have. Will I hold desperately to control or submit wholeheartedly when temptation comes? The final temptation Satan has for Jesus now, verse 8. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So Satan brings Jesus to a high mountain. We're unsure of the exact location of where that is, but again, more than likely, it was a visionary experience that Satan shows Jesus. And he shows him the splendor of all the earthly kingdoms without the sin. It was a temptation to receive power without the suffering. To avoid the difficulty and pain of the cross and jump right into ruling and reigning over the kingdoms of the world. And all Jesus has to do is exchange his love and worship of God for a worship of Satan to take control of what he would achieve, but with much less trouble. This is the temptation to violate the first commandment of you shall have no other gods before me. To worship someone other than God himself. This is the temptation of idolatry. Now, the authority that Satan claims to have been given, of course, is a lie. But we understand that God has given Satan the opportunity to have influence and impact in this world. It is for a time. He does not have the final authority. That ultimately and always belongs to God. He has no claim to be able to bestow any of the perceived glory of this world to anyone. And Jesus knew that. So he responds, verse 10, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Casting out Satan from his presence, Jesus faithfully obeys the command to have no other gods before the one and only true God. The same command that Israel did not faithfully obey. Again, he cites from Deuteronomy 6 and he reiterates the truth of the first commandment. That God is the only one we are to worship. He is the only one we are to serve. Jesus, the one with the real authority in this conversation, casts Satan out from his presence. Resisting the final temptation, fulfilling the purpose of which God sent him into the wilderness, submitting to him, being led and ministered to by the Spirit with the Word of God as his guide. See, this final temptation was for Jesus to take control for himself to put his desires on the throne of his life, to abandon the plans of God for something that seemed easier, less difficult, less painful. And we too often try to avoid what is difficult. To take the path of least resistance by taking control for ourselves and holding desperately to it, thinking that we know best. But as is often the case, that just ends in more difficulty. As we worship and bow to ourselves or someone or something other than God. Which was certainly the case for the people of Israel. 
And the result for them was even greater hardship and missing out on the good things that God had promised them for 40 years. See, wholehearted submission to God results in blessing. It gives us the perspective that we need to resist temptation. In giving up control, there is freedom. In submission to God, there is strength and power through His Spirit that He alone can offer us. There is joy and blessing in obedience far greater than can come from our plans or decisions. Jesus Himself exemplified for us what it looks like to lean hard on the Father. Look only to God's Word and to have the Spirit minister to Him as He navigated temptation. I mean, let's make no mistake about it. Giving in to temptation feels good for a time. It pleases the sinful parts of us. But it will rule over us. Many hold desperately to control of their lives, to their choices. But in reality, we will always serve someone. We are never really in control of anything, but we are under the control of someone or something else. See, the control that you think you have over the sin in your life, it is control, but not like you think. Because your sin is controlling you. You may think that you can stop it whenever you want. That you can end it and you can make the decision to go the other way anytime. But I guarantee that as many times as you try, apart from wholehearted submission to God, that thing will just keep coming back. Proverbs 16 verse 6 gives us the perspective that we need to have when it comes to resisting temptation. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The right response to the steadfast love and faithfulness of God in atoning for, in paying for our iniquity, our sinfulness, is to fear Him. Is to wholeheartedly submit to the plans and purposes of God, knowing who He is the strength of his character, the might of his nature, the weight of his grace and mercy and forgiveness in our lives. And in doing so, we realize the perspective that Puritan pastor John Owen so eloquently had, that we need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be resisting temptation lest it have any chance to have any victory over us. To derail our faith or fellowship with God. You see, that's the kind of ruthless and brutal approach we need to have when temptation comes our way. Because the stakes are high. And the results can be devastating. See, resisting temptation doesn't come down to just sheer 
willpower. We can't manufacture it or make it happen for ourselves. It comes down to submitting to God and His will for our lives. Leaning hard on Him. Looking to His Word in all things. And experiencing and relying on the power available to us by the Spirit as He leads us through this life. So the question before us then is when temptation arises, will you recognize it? Because so often when temptation comes and we fail to recognize it, we're guaranteed to fall into the trap that sets before us. Will we pray for God to open our eyes to temptation when it comes? The second step is to understand where it's coming from and choose your response. Will I choose self-satisfaction or humbly depend on God? Will I choose to make my own truth or believe in God and what he declares to be true? Will I hold desperately to control or submit wholeheartedly to the plans, purposes, and person of God? choices before each of us this morning. Temptation is at our doorstep on a daily basis. How will we respond? My hope and prayer for us is that we will respond as Jesus did with his example as our guide. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the word and for the truth that we find in it. God, we thank you for the incredible truth that we have declared in worship this morning that has been prayed over us already, but it's a truth that we should never grow tired of hearing. That you, out of your great and perfect love for us, made a way that our sins, past, present, and future, can be forgiven, atoned for, paid in full. And in doing so, we are justified. We are declared righteous in your sight by the blood of Jesus Christ shed. And in through his glorious resurrection, we experience new and abundant life here. The promise of eternity with you where we will one day stand in your glorious presence to worship and praise your name for all of eternity. God, we look forward to that. But while we are here, Lord, we recognize that temptation is something that's all too real in our lives. We often fail to recognize when it comes. We often miss the mark in how we are called to respond to it. So, Father, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, instill in us a ruthlessness to deal with temptation when it comes to first recognize and understand it and to second humbly depend on you for what we need to endure it to believe what you declare to be true to have your word written on our hearts and permeating every aspect of our lives God we ask that you would give us the desire the ability to submit in everything with our whole hearts to you 
Would the call on all of our lives be to bring you glory in all ways, in what we say, in what we think, in what we do, what we prioritize and participate in. Would you make it so in our lives, God, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for the strength, the might, the power of your name and your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our, our example in all things. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.